It is a time of legend. The galaxy is in flames. The age of knowledge and enlightenment has ended. The age of darkness has begun. Greetings and welcome to the 18th episode of the Fires Betrayal podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to discussing the various games set in the Age of Darkness, as well as all the lore which surrounds them. Today we are welcoming in the new year, taking a look at the year that has gone previously, and looking at what we're going to be doing in the upcoming year. Front and centre of that for me is Adepticon. Uh, it looks like I'm going to be able to make the trip this year, so we've got some the folks on Ferex events who will uh, talk about what we'll be doing in, like, three months' time, which is kind of scary to think about. Yeah, don't remind me. I think with that, we'll just jump straight into talking about Adepticon. So joining me here today, we've got uh, Eric and Lucas. If you guys want to say hello. Hey, Martin. Hello. How was your guys 2023? Eric's had a pretty big year, really. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, personally, uh, the year was really, the year was great for me. But as far as Ferex goes... Um, you know 2023 is the year that you saw it us take it over from its previous owner um after he passed away so it was kind of our first year as big time event organizers like i've run stuff locally for quite some time now but i had never really run anything um of any of the sizes of the events that we ran this year we did um adepticon 2023 uh we had what do we have we had a three-day uh, 3000 point linked narrative just like we're going to have again this year and then we had our mega zomortalis game that was like a big team battle zomortalis kind of thing and we did two nights of that after we were only going to do one but um after their big ticket fiasco last year just like there is every year uh they we decided to do a second night of it so we doubled the amount of tickets for that we sold out everything I think there was only one event that we played last year that didn't that wasn't completely full or wasn't very close to full. Um and that was the event that ran concurrently with the tag teams, which is a pretty popular uh team event. So we did Amberstrand part one at Midwest the Midwest Conquest, which was that was that Memorial Day weekend, I think. Memorial Day weekend. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that was cool. Um it was pretty small but it was really fun is it had a it had a really intimate feel uh martin was there grant was there jonathan was there so like some ferics like regulars were there and we had a really good time and uh i think they had a good time too and then we did what was the next one we had texas open yeah i mean between then you started scattering in those one day events as well yeah we do i've been doing the one day events in dallas for a couple years now i kind of took him over from the guy who was doing them before he got kind of burnt out on it and so i took him over and started doing them mostly me i have a lot of help it's not just me doing them but so yeah yeah we started doing one day events we're basically just doing some uh if, if i'm being real honest like we don't really have the energy to put that much effort into the one day they're really just kind of game days as an excuse to get you know, get together, play games. We'll bring out some terrain, but the narrative is relatively light because it's honestly difficult to fill that much narrative space. And we're really trying to focus on our big events. And so, like I said, it's really just to kind of keep a scene going in Dallas. I think we've been pretty successful. We have like, um, you know, normally like 12 to 16 players every time, pretty much. So we have a good like core. We found a new venue for them after our old venue like we've been through a few different venues and we're really liking the new venue at dallas games marathon 
So then we did Texas Open, which was our Amber second like two. big standalone. Yeah, Amber Strand Part Two, our second standalone uh, event. Well, not standalone. It's it's in conjunction with another con, but we did that. We sold that out. Did really well there. That was a great time. I felt like we really like we really delivered exactly what we set out to deliver. I felt like that was really awesome. Then we did what was the th- what was the second Kansas City event called? We did another event in Kansas City. Yeah, Precipice of Ruin. Yeah, yeah. You want to talk a little bit about that one? Um, it was it, yeah, it was our last three day event of the year. Our major, what we call our major events. It ended up being I think twelve to fourteen people. We it was sort of um, a closing in the Amber Strand story, which had actually turned into a really great narrative arc, and also sort of functioned as a tee up for the the setting for Adepticon. Um, so it allows me to get a little bit more narrative out there for everybody to to take care, you know, take part of before we get to Adepticon. So for people that are lucky enough to have come to our event, you know, they'll have hopefully some arcs carrying forward, some, you know, rivalries carrying forward into Adepticon that they can revive and, and keep it sort of moving along. Those one-day events in Dallas, I know they don't reek of narrative like your other events do, but... They are really good for being a place to test out a lot of the rules. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's huge. It's huge for what we try to do as well. I know like in the Kansas City scene, we do a lot of mission testing because um, one of the guys that does a lot of the mission design for us, um, he um, we, he's obviously local to Kansas City. So when we get the, the local scene in Kansas City together, we will test out um, new missions, possible rules changes a lot of the forge stuff has all been tested at one day events before it goes live it's it's a nice little tool to have it's obviously technically an extra event that we've run but it i don't know it feels good yeah we use them as a bed for play test for a lot of every other system yeah and i think all in all 2023 was super successful for us as a group um not only to just take it over but then to to launch those big regionals and actually sell out of, of spots and, you know, have draw the, 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 the nicest thing is to see the draw that we have um, from the Midwestern stuff and from the Dallas area. You know, when you go into these events and people are coming in from Wisconsin or, you know, all over the place, it really sort of validates everything. So I think at the end of 2023, the biggest thing that we're taking forward is, you know, we've got the right recipe. It's just a matter of, of, of keeping it moving, you know? Well, sort of on that note, let's uh, look to this upcoming year. Uh, I suppose next on the uh, calendar is Adepticon again. Not a small task by any means. <laughs> no. So what is the plan for Adepticon? So the plan for Adepticon is uh, kind of to take the existing formula and try to improve upon it, basically. Um, we're going to do uh, three days of 3,000 point. We call it, uh, this is a term that I didn't come up with, but we call it frontline. Um, the only all the term frontline means is regular three thousand point games with very few, if any, army restrictions. So the only army restrictions that we have for our frontline games are there's no unique characters. Um, we've removed like primarchs and special characters um, from the from the narrative and then also from the gameplay. We've replaced them with something we like to call the character forge, and we'll talk about the uh, Ferex campaign supplement in a little while that includes yeah. the character forge. But the schedule basically is Thursday, Friday, Saturday. On Thursday, all three days, we have our 3,000-point front line. All of those events are ticketed separately. So if you'd like to 
partake in all three of them, you'll need to buy three separate tickets. The tickets are only, I think, $25 per day. Uh, so it's not like monstrously expensive, but you do need to purchase each ticket separately. Um, then we also have our Zomortalis, which is regular Zomortalis, for lack of a better term. One of the big things that people came up to came with us came to us with last year was that there were no formats that had small games of Horus Heresy. There's a lot of international attendees that did not have the space to bring 3,000 points of Horus Heresy. You know, these armies can get quite big. Uh, so they wanted to, um, they, there was a kind of a call for having, you know, more smaller games that they could easily bring a little force, you know, in a check in a carry on bag or something. So we do, uh, we're going to do a 1000 point Zomor Talus. Uh, it's going to be three rounds. I'm sorry. I didn't talk about that. The frontline games, the frontline events are two rounds, 3000 points. The Zomor Talus are going to be three rounds at 1000 points. Um, same kind of thing. No special characters. You will be able to, and also it goes off all of the regular ZM restrictions. Okay. And then there is on Friday and Saturday we have the Mega ZM, which we're calling Broadside. So uh, that is going to be the continuation of our Mega Zomortalis. So we have for this year it's new. We're going to do. Uh, like a boarding action. That's why it's called broadside. Obviously, the two ships pull up to each other, and you're gonna be you're gonna have teams. There's gonna be a team. There's gonna be a captain on each ship that's gonna get to do stuff like fire cannons and do like power stuff, and it's still being worked out. But there, you're gonna have teams. Some of you will stay on the ship that you're assigned to and defend it, and some of you will board the enemy ship to try to take it. Neat. So it's gonna be like they're gonna be sl- lined up next to each other. That's pretty much it for what we're doing. We, like I said, we have that on Saturday and Sunday. I'm sorry, yes, Friday and Saturday. And the other games are Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Nothing on Sunday, which has become kind of the common schedule. Well, yeah, I think they hijack our room for Golden Demon anyway, so it works out. I suppose it means we can start the drive home a day earlier if we need to. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it actually is kind of nice. Or you can just hang out all day on Sunday and like not have to do anything. Or go to the Golden Demon judging and all that stuff. Yeah. Or catch all the deals at the vendors. Are you kidding me, yeah. dude? Yeah. And there's that is... so many just liquidation sales on Sunday that nobody mm. really knows about because everybody's gone. Yeah. But those yeah. guys don't want to take all that stuff home. So yep. <laughs> I know we came home with a pile of terrain uh, from one of our mm-hmm. sponsors who just was like, you know, rather than ship this all to you, you can just take it with you. And it was very, very cool. <laughs> So a few a few follow on questions before we move on. Uh, so the Zomortalis games are we using uh, rules out of the book, or are we you making any modifications to this game system? For the Zomortalis, the thousand point, which is called Ruins of Saratan, that is out of the book. Except we're not using reinforcement points. We'll use a, a regular seize the initiative. And no, like none of the reinforcement point options are going to be used. Um, we didn't really think the games were big enough to use them. I know it's designed with thousand point games in mind, but I'm still not 100% sold on reinforcement points personally. Okay, so you're going to de- deploy like it was a frontline game, move across the board, that sort of stuff. Yes, yes. And it won't be the classic Zomertal style of like keep half your army in reserve and deploy the rest. It's going to be a standard like deployment. You're going to deploy everything. Infiltrator, scout, all that, sh- all that is normal. 
Yeah, and also just just chime in. Like, it's important to know too that the the ZM is not its own separate thing during the day. So we're treating it. It is actually going to be part of the established narrative. It is going to be shaping the battlefield of everything going on on the main surface of the planet. I'm I'm really excited about the idea of this uh, thousand point former heresy. I've been an advocate for a long time that I think there's a sweet spot for smaller games of heresy. I'm very interested to see how it plays out. Yeah, we are too. On the um, on the large scale Zomertalis, it's the same restrictions. Uh, there won't be any reinforcement points. We have a special kind of deployment. So it's, expect a very similar to normal deployment. Although some things like infiltrators and scout may be limited. Yeah, it's the way to think of the Mega ZM is less of a competitive game to show up and just play to win or play for objectives super hard. You're going to... It's a little bit more of a structured, like curated type of event. Like there'll be a lot of rules injected that the the people, you know, the us <laughs> running the game will be keeping track of and sort of directing everybody so that the game moves forward. But we promise that anybody that, that attends it, it's gonna be I personally think the premier event of, of Adepticon. <laughs> Not just the Heresy Hall, but um I think I think it's gonna be a great, great time. So I wish we could fit more people. That's my only regret. Those 48 spots for the front line will fill up really quickly. Yeah, we we have increased our overall ticket um, availability by a pretty significant amount. Uh, we've added another complete event with 24 tickets every day. I mean, that's, it's, there's a lot of tickets there now. I mean, we're looking at like, you know, 70 people almost playing Heresy any moment, all in the same narrative. We've doubled the amount of tickets for the big Zomertal, the Mega Battle Zomertalis, as well. So we've added 36 tickets per day. Like if, if we sell all 70 out next Sunday, or this upcoming Sunday, hopefully this can be edited and be out the door real quick, I am going to be mightily impressed, and uh, I will pull one out for you guys, because I know it's going to be a very stressful couple of months. Well, and I think that, I think that it's also important to, to just throw this out there for people that are, are new. At this point, or people that have been before, at this point, there are no more tables in the in the hall. This is max capacity. Everybody, like every table, will have players on it at all times during the day. Um, the only time they clear out is during the evening, and that's obviously because of you know um, people needing time off and stuff. Um, but like we don't even have, for example, dedicated tables for us to put our stuff on. So it's going to be at this point like we are doing everything we can to accommodate as many players as possible. Because we didn't want to have to do the, you know, expansion after the sellout like we did last year. So we've really worked hard to, to play the Jenga with the other, you know, um, admins. And I think, I think, I think it's going to be fun, especially when we get in there and we're elbow to elbow with everybody. I think, I think it's going to be really, really cool. Okay. On a different sort of moving away from the sort of technical side. Um, what can you tell us about the narrative? Because that's the part that really excites me about the whole, you you have guys with such a, narrative uh, can you care, fill us in what what's happened in the Ferex system and where we're going with it now yeah so the for those that work uh, assuming that we're, we're going to operate from a point of a standpoint of adepticon from last year we'll just bring you through the year very high level i'll, I'll do also a shout out uh, for those that are are new to the Ferex storyline we actually have the everything up to adepticon last year is completely voice acted by baldemort um, it's available through our website, um, which I'm sure Martin will have linked at some point somewhere. 
and all of the written narratives are available through that website as well. So you can sit down. I, I encourage you to grab a cup of coffee one night. Just read through what we're doing. I think you're going to love the setting. I think you're going to like what we're doing. We put a lot of emphasis on the story in Ferrix, and um, we spend a lot of time making sure that it's intriguing enough to try and bring people back, but also is sort of leading to the or setting up the style of events that we want to try and run. So, mm-hmm. so coming out of Ferrix or Adepticon last year, basically the Loyalists and traders were fighting over a, a, a location um, that had some sort of alien sort of tech on it um, that was undescribed at the point or at, the, or at that point. And um, at the resolution of Adepticon last year, that technology came on. And when that technology came on, there were repercussions not only planet side, but um, further into the Ferrix system. Um, it was kind of teased in the, the audio exit um, coming out of Adepticon. That setting that basically heard the the doorbell that was Nazar ended up being the setting called what we called the Amber Strand. Uh, it's a large ore processing, automated ore processing facilities uh, amongst a gigantic asteroid belt um, scale on just epic proportions. And the Amber Strand would then host our next two uh, major weekend events, trying to sort of depict not only the fighting over the manufacturing stations, but over all the little smaller hub sites for the automated shipping and all of that sort of stuff. And the Amber Strand then fought through it. Martin had an incredible uh, character arc through there, which I believe he's documenting. Um, Almost there. Yeah. And um, so the Amber Strand uh, essentially ends up um, resolving with the traders forcing the loyalists to evacuate um, sort of in a um, ridiculously fast manner. They they are scrambling. They are of trying to avoid being just completely annihilated, mostly because of how the Amber Strand two um, events sort of went. The loyalists flee, and through, I guess, sifting through the data that was available, or the data that that their their different um, teams had collected while they were on the surface in the Amber Strand, come across logs for where the automated processed ores and uh, materials were being delivered. So as I said, it was a huge automated system. Um, and, and there were three locations listed on the data sets that they found, one of them being a giant ocean world. And the loyalists decide to make, you know, in the panic, decide to make for that planet. Uh, that planet is named uh, Seraton 4. And Seraton 4 has a, um, a giant orbital array above it that functions as the hub for all of the resources that are being there. It's like a dispersion point into the system. So one thing to understand sort of setting-wise is that Nazar um, at Adepticon last year was on the outer, what we call the outer rim of it, um, of of the Ferex cluster. And as we've gone through the Amber Strand, we've sort of transitioned. And Seratan 4 is the first major planet that we're going to narratively inside the middle sphere. So this will be, like I said, it, it, it operates as a, a dispersion point for other planets in the system that might uncover more narrative hooks um, for people to look into. Um, maybe, maybe future places we will be. The narrative for Adepticon is actually currently in process, but we, with the Precipice of Ruin event that we did at the end of the year last year, that was sort of the fight. It, it's the consolidation of the Loyalist forces at Seratan 4 after they travel through a, a, a sort of a 
a warp storm esque type um, event. They get there, they consolidate, they prepare for the traders' onslaught that is for sure to come, um, especially with them being fully restocked, resupplied, and ready to go out of the Amber Strand. And so the Precipice of Ruin mostly focused around the orbital um, of the planet and um, nearly everything that was going on there, except for a, a couple small battle zones that we use, um, were actually considered to be on the orbital station itself. So Adepticon is going to be Planetfall. So I'm really looking forward to it. We have it. We have a lot of the, the, the skeletons and the bones are all there. Um, we're working on just, I'm working on fleshing out the story now. Um, but I think we've got a soft, del soft delivery date of the end of the month. What I'm hearing is that uh, good narrative armies will be like drop pod armies. Uh, uh, drop pod armies uh, are going to be definitely valid. I think um, I, I suggest people, you know, dig in and look at the um, Precipice of Ruin stuff, uh, the, the writing for Precipice of Ruin. Um, it'll give you a pretty good understanding of what the topology of the planet is right now. Essentially, what was recovered in the Amber Strand, you know, indicated that this was an ocean planet. Um, upon the Loyalist arrival, it is no longer an ocean planet. So it uh. is a husk of an ocean planet. Um, and they're not sure why. And so just trying to get my, my mental picture right. So we'll have the frontline games going down on the ruins of this planet. And then obviously the Zoe Mortalis stuff's going on on the ships above the planet still. Yeah, so it's going to actually be a mix. So because we've added the daytime ZM, the daytime, so essentially the planet is, um, the way to think of it is sort of a dried core with a giant um, upward spire where there was an atoll and a hive city was sitting on that atoll. The orbital station being centered above it um, with a massive space elevator connecting the two. So it's kind of like, if you picture it, kind of like a cord apple. <laughs> That's what I sort of picture as I come up to it. Um, so the, the frontline gaming, quote unquote, most of those battles. So for those not familiar in Ferex, we use what we call battle zones, which are groups of, um, like tables that we use to define a setting or a certain part of the narrative. So when you're playing on our tables, it's not just, Hey, here's game workshop, games workshop table number four. This is like, this is part of the power production facilities on this, you know, wherever we're at, we have a power production ones. We have several of these, um, stockpiled. So. So the frontline battle zones will actually represent different sections of the hive. The daytime ZM will actually represent subterranean actions in the hive. The um, mega ZM is actually a kind of a sort of prelude event. It's going to be a ship-to-ship -ship interaction that actually happens before they get to the orbital. So it's a little bit of a rewind to go to do mega ZM. But because of what we're doing on the tabletop, it makes more sense to do it that way. So so that's where we'll be. And there may be some um, other of the daytime ZM that might get put onto the station. It's sort of it, it's sort of still in, in the air. So No, I like it. Yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really, really excited. The the um we've been knowing we were coming here since I wanna say June or so of last year. So that's a lot of thoughts been going into it, a lot of writings happening. <laughs> um, as you know. And anybody that's been to our events, we take a lot of pride in the story that we write. So yeah. we try to make it as interesting as possible. So um, I think I think Saratan's going to be a very cool setting. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of narrative hooks that come out of this that might give you a little bit more of a peek. 
again, for those new to Ferex, you know, it, the way to think of Ferex is it's a it's a weird little corner of space where, you know, we we forge our own heroes and and investigate a mystery that's un, unrolling as we proceed through this system. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think um, just as on a side, I know I've talked a lot about narrative storytelling before on this podcast. In fact, me and Grant had a long conversation about dinosaurs and pirates recently. I sort of want to encourage anyone listening is to not get too tied into where is the system in the universe. It exists wonderfully as this place that is. Yeah. Yeah, we joke about it. It being on Ferex time. Yeah, it's definitely well, I mean I mean and the way it's cut off, I mean the way the universe is, I mean, for all we know, this entire setting is done after the Siege of Terror. It's anywhere on the timeline, it's everywhere on the timeline. It's it is what you want it to be. But it's it's at the same time a you know, great story. Yeah, we get asked a lot about like, oh, what's the yeah, what's the timeline? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's in the middle. It's at the end. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um I mean, timelines don't. I mean, I think one of the biggest mistakes that has been recently made in the Heresy by Games Workshop is actually outlining in like an official timeline of things. Mm-hmm. This type of storytelling works best when you don't sweat it. I definitely agree. I, you know, obviously we inherited this from David, and he had sort of queued up, queued up the story, and we were lucky enough to have the sort of a little bit of a premonitions of where he was going with it. A lot of conversations with him talking about it. And so writing it and actually allowing the players to shape it. And, you know, I, that's the other thing I really like to stress is that you actually have a chance to affect the fear storyline, right? Like you as an individual player or you as a trader or loyalist or you as a ZM force have a chance to direct this thing that multiple people are interacting with, right? Hundreds of people a year are interacting with. I mean, obviously, I mean, the traitors managed to, like myself, managed to keep the loyalists out of the Amp Strand. I'll take that as a big victory. Absolutely. And and the thing is, is, is it's not just... The one thing I will I will always sort of remind people is that everything is allowed to be revisited, right? And so where a lot of the time narratives um especially narrative series for you know events and stuff it's a very stagnant straightforward timeline we're always moving forward we're always moving forward and with Ferex, there's a lot of obviously a lot more control um if you know you never know amber strand might be critical to where we are next or it might be critical for what we do at adepticon like the story will sort of tell itself and you know while we have a plan for where we want to be before Adepticon next year, for example, how we get there, there, there are many options on how we get there. And the players that come and play, the, the people that we meet and talk with, you know, do, are a large part of, of what shapes that. Well, let's, let's take a stab and talk about the campaign supplement. Uh, it's a pretty lengthy document now. I've referenced it a few times on the show. It's where we go to find out how we make our own special characters. Um, but there's a bit more to it now. Yes, there is. There's quite a bit. Um, so the campaign supplement is basically what we were finding was uh, all of the stuff that we were kind of layering on top of Horse Heresy was getting a little bit unwieldy to have separate documents. So we decided to join it all together in this campaign supplement. It's kind of like our version of 
like a black book. We're not quite there where we want it to be yet, but we're it's a constant work in progress. Right now we're on vision version number one, um, but we are going to release a version 1.1 before Adepticon. Okay. Actually, very soon. Um, it's going to have a couple little tweaks and changes. Don't expect anything wild. Mm-hmm. But um, basically, the things that it has added for that we add on top of the game are uh, the points of interest system, which mm-hmm. I'm sure if you've listened to this podcast before, you've heard us talk about. Basically, that's like where your dudes can um, find stuff while they're exploring the ruins of Saratan or any planet in the Ferric system, any war zone in the Ferric system. And this stuff can be any number of things. It could be a piece of Archaeotech, like an example is the Nanite Blaster, which is like a little replicator pistol. It could be uh, what we're calling mission items, which are actually like uh, an item that creates an objective on the battlefield for you to then fight over. So it like adds another objective in the middle of the game, like a munitions cache or something like that. Then there are NPCs, which are kind of the bread and butter of the points of interest system. And the NPCs are actually models that will join yours or your opponent's army, depending on what you are lucky enough to draw. Uh, But that system is in its third kind of iteration. And we're really happy with where it is now. We feel like we can just add and subtract things from it to kind of keep moving forward. But the cool part of it is, is there's enough to it that one player is probably never going to be able to explore all of it. So there's always something new that you're kind of like, oh, when you pick it up, it might be something you've seen before. It might not be something you've seen before. But I actually wanted to commend Martin because Martin has been one of the players that has taken this system and done exactly what we wanted people to do with it, where he's used it to create his own army's narrative. Now, he was helped with some lucky or unlucky draws, depending on how you look at it. but. It, it, it's just so cool what what we've seen players do with it. Grant's done great things with it. Jonathan's done great things with it. And we've actually had a couple players that we've actually either taken ideas or models from their army and inserted them into the NPC system uh, to kind of live on forever. So that's the first thing is the points of interest. Um, we're going to try a new thing with um, unique faction secondaries. So all of the fact, all of the factions in the game, all the different legions, all of that stuff are going to be able to have their own secondary mission. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're going to be able to pick a secondary mission. Is that the asymmetrical warfare objectives? Yes, it's the asymmetrical warfare. Version 1.0 had a trait for every, or version 0.9 had a trait for every legion, and they all ended up being almost exactly the same. So we ditched it. Uh, there's the battle zones, which basically just go over the different battle zones. The battle zones are just groupings of tables that confer a bonus to the faction that controls them. Um, that's not too crazy. That's pretty common for these big, like, narrative campaigns. You know, you get bonuses depending on what you're... Yeah, and it's nice we've got them all ahead of time so people can read them, hopefully. Two of the things that we really are our focus, or I guess three things that are really our focus for Depcon this year that we wanted to improve upon were... The NPC system, people last year loved it, but Mm -hmm. we got some feedback that it sometimes it kind of felt like a game of Pokemon where like, oh, yeah, stuff just popped out. There really wasn't any like rhyme or reason to it. It really didn't make a lot of sense. And you're going to have that anytime you insert like a random effect kind of like that. That's not curated in any way. 
but we've created instead of just having like what we had before was like so you had an you got an imperial noble and there was like no flavor text about him it just had a stat line a special rule and you just got him and then you basically had to fill in that blank and some players are very good at that and some players don't care at all about it and that's perfectly fine but so what we've done this time is we've actually created a narrative blurb for every single NPC. So the size of the NPC sheets has grown to a full sheet of paper. And now it has a whole like flavor text about like who this is, why they're there, all this stuff. So you can hopefully use that to kind of insert them more into your own army. So we wanted to increase the narrative opportunities in the NPC system. Something we set out to do that we've already actually achieved is we've gotten rid of all objective markers. We don't have objective markers in our games at all. And what I mean is we don't have like numbered pieces of acrylic. Yes. What I mean is like, um, if your mission tells you, you have to go control three Promethean relays, there are pieces of scenery on the table that represent these Promethean relays that your force must go and capture. They're not just, acrylic markers on the table which look great don't get me wrong and we have a great sponsor that provides us with acrylic markers but we want again it's just a little bit another level of immersion so we've actually already achieved that so that's really cool and then we wanted to the third thing was we wanted to fine-tune the character forge which allows you to create a special character of your own rather than use like sigismund or whoever from the lore which there's nothing wrong with that but this allows you to build your own narrative. And basically what it does is it gives your Praetor uh, what's called Risen to Command. And Risen to Command basically goes over your Praetor's journey to Praetorhood, where he is now. And it's not only for Praetors now. We've actually expanded it. The only factions that don't have Risen to Command traits now are Sisters of Silence and Custodes. We're working on them, but Custodes are very difficult mechanically to not just mm -hmm. make better. They're already really good. We don't really need to make them better. And no one's asked us for Sisters of Silence traits, so we haven't really focused on them. I, I just want to say, I think the um, Risen to Command traits, I mean, the whole idea of building your Praetor is so key to the whole Pyrrhix um, story to me. In my mind, it sort of resonates a bit like professional wrestling. Yes, exactly. One of the ways we can tell the narrative is I show up with my character. And it's the guy I've created the story for. And I'm going to go to the table. I'm going to tell you about my guy. And then we're going to have a fight with your guy versus my guy. And then that will go on and affect the narrative. And your guy can be renowned for being really great. Or some people's guys are renowned for being pretty bad yeah. at what they do. And that's also really fun. So we have a, you know, a selection of traits. Um, version 1.0 of this had traits that were just generic for everybody i think there's like a dozen of them mm -hmm. and they range in points from free to 50 points and we really wanted to we're actually going to expand how many free options there are so that people okay. that aren't aware of it or whatever they can just pick one add it they don't feel like they're getting shafted just because you know they didn't they didn't fully buy into the system they can just get a free bonus free little upgrade or whatever and they can hopefully use that to kind of like play into. And I think that would be really fun. Um, but we've also added a unique one for every Legion now. Yeah, it's the, the Legion ones are really fun. I actually, I do want to call out here that the ones for the 
uh, non-marines were also really good and they're the re least addition if you looked at them last year the campaign supplement going through those other stuff for the militia the militia and the solar arcs are really really good yeah i've i've already got my eyes on what i'm doing for my militia just going to tell you um i may <laughs> have some battleships coming to play um <laughs> oh yeah i'm definitely thinking naval attache okay it's a good one yeah it's it just fits the story that you know these my militia are being sent out of the amber strand and they're oversupplied with equipment um including some really big guns hell yeah the cool thing about militia you know this combines with then that combines with the warlord traits uh -huh. like the militia has really flavorful warlord traits and then it also combines with the provinces and so you can like really craft an army that's like your own yeah so this is just one more level of stuff you can add on top of your dude yeah it's gonna be i'm, I'm looking forward to having a bit of fun with my militia there today uh, next time well militia in frontline i'm gonna militia for frontline imperial fists for zone mortalis is the plan okay that sounds good i think that's gonna be awesome yeah yeah, so I can jump from traitor to loyalist halfway through the event. Yeah, they're not ticketed for um, which side we balance on the at the day. We've never had any trouble with that before. Um, so we do we do the pairings and the balance very seat of our pants, and it's I don't say that in a bad way. It that seems to be what works for us. No, rather than trying I'm... to get it all set up beforehand, it just flat doesn't work. Well, because no, because if you do it, I mean, I. Back when I was running my own events, I uh, did my um, Titanicus stuff, I would stress over my pairings and my balance, and then someone doesn't show up because they've got toothache. And, oh, what am I doing now? Or at Adepticon, everybody forgets that they're 40 years old and not 20 anymore. So they party too hard the first night and <laughs> don't want to wake up till noon the next day. Yeah, too many twees in the hot tub the night before. And then it's uh, no no way am I making a 9 a.m. start time. But not yeah, only have I'm... we never really had balance issues, you know, um, I think if you look at the history of all of our events last year, all of the scoring was super close as well. So it, it not only ends up balanced in just loyalists versus traitors, but in sort of effective army strength, you sort of end up fairly, we've been, or, or that, or we've been extremely lucky um, that it, it's ended up in, in fairly balanced games and. And just as a um, to anyone listening who's thinking of going, if you're planning on taking a loyalist force and you aren't like you you aren't strapped into any loyalist only trait, have a backup plan if they you end up being asked to be a traitor because some of the times you can have some really fun stories. I know Brandon over at the Legion Cast, his narrative got really interesting when he was asked to play as a traitor. Yeah, there's a local guy here to Kansas City that was in the same boat last year, uh, Joshua. Who ended up playing traitor ultramarines on a whim because we needed a, a traitor, and his entire army's now been completely. Or he's in the process of completely rebuilding it as a traitor fort. Yeah, um, it. Yeah, I mean, obviously you get some less. I mean, I know I'm in that same boat. Playing my word bearers as loyalist isn't going to happen. But some of those other legions can make the switch and can make the switch for accidental reasons, like they don't realize they're helping out the traitors for this battle for some information for some reason. So be flexible, and uh, you'll have a good time, and don't get hung up on this traitor too much. I won't make anyone uh, switch teams that doesn't really that doesn't want to either. Like mm -hmm. it basically it goes, you know, we go down the list and we're like, okay, militia, solar ox, mechanicum, that don't care, 
and some people do care. I'm not saying that all of them don't. I just mean like, if you don't care, if you're one of these factions, you're going to be over here. Then you go down, then you go to Alpha Legion. And no, no, Dark Angels are loyalists. (laughs) Don't ever, we don't do, we don't, we leave them alone. And then, and then is Volunteers. And then at the very end is Voluntolds. I I, I was so tempted to build a Traitor Salamander's army recently. So, I mean. I actually have wanted to do that. I've thought about that a couple times. I think that could be really cool. Yeah, there's a there's a, the stuff in the um, loyalist book that talks about the ones that went traitor after losing Vulcan. I'm like, oh, they sound so good. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to do traitor salamanders with like destroyers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, really bad. But we're talking for about an hour. Is there anything else you want to loop in before we move on to the next stuff? I really just wanted to say. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure that you already know this, and I don't have to tell you, but these events that we're talking about are not um, competitive in any way. They have, uh, there are no prizes for winning. There are only prizes for painting, army theme, being a cool dude, uh, having the coolest character that you created, all that stuff, stuff that happens during the game. That's the only time we're giving out prizes. So there's no reason to bring, you know, a list that is super competitive. I mean, nobody wants to just get walked over in every game. I'm not suggesting that you bring like just garbage, but the point is, you know, be a cool guy, build with respect for your opponents. Um, We don't have any army restrictions, like as far as balance goes, you know, we haven't banned Fury of the Ancients or anything like that. We haven't restricted Laz Cannon teams. So we want to keep it that way. It's much better than having to explain 50 different army restrictions that we've done in the case of balance to just say, just don't be a dick. Yeah, absolutely. So we haven't had a problem with it so far. So, But we strive so hard to make this the best event series that we can. So if you have an army idea, let's say you want to foot slog militia, we have tables in our rotation that will allow you to do that. We have missions on those tables that will allow you to play that army. If you want to play a tank line, we have tables for tank lines. We, we really go out of our way to accommodate as much as we can with the tables that we build. And, you know, that's the other thing I sort of just wanted to chime in is, is a lot of our, like all of our tables are bespoke. They are complete from the ground up. They're not kits that we buy from, you know, for the most part, they, they're not kits that we buy from third-party vendors. The missions that we run are completely designed for that terrain set. Um, and we keep in mind the different types of armies that want to play. So, you know, um, really, when you're looking at Adepticon, I think it's a fun opportunity to tackle a new army project. And maybe, you know, there's an army that your local meta might just chew up that you've wanted to play. I think Adepticon will be a pretty fun space for you to bring that kind of stuff and experiment a little bit. And... As long as you lean into the story, I think you're going to have a great time. Absolutely. Okay, before we're done talking about the Theoric system, I do want to ask, I'm presuming there are plans to return to several of the events that you did as well next year? Um, it's So our calendar, I think, and we haven't really super talked about it in depth. Um, we're just sort of getting back from our winter break. But I think the plan is to do the same sort of format we did this year. Definitely the same time frames locations yeah and i think dallas and i yeah 
So I think the, the calendar is going to look very similar to what it did last year. But we we hope to have the plan this year. So last year, you know, we were obviously very new to this. We took it over in, in January and, and produced Adepticon. So when we left Adepticon, we didn't really have a plan for the year. We just knew that we were like, well, we did all this work. We have all this stuff. Like, let's do a local event, mm-hmm. you know, weekender. But a lot of those opportunities and those venues kind of approach ended up approaching us in a sort of way like it just sort of naturally evolved the catch being that it was like very short notice so one of the things that we have um, everything we're going to hope to be as locked in as we can be by adepticon so that when we are at adepticon our full schedule for the year will be available um so you can mark out the big the bigger events to try and come and and join in on the fun throughout the year and I just, I mean, for for those people listening who aren't able to make Adepticon, or maybe they're going to go to Adepticon and spend the entire weekend playing Battletech or something. I know I'm really tempted to take my Battletech up there as well. There are going to be other events. And I didn't play Adepticon last year, and I still feel like I had a sizable impact in the story. And I think anyone's capable of doing that. So absolutely, get involved wherever you can and whenever you can. Uh, there's an absolutely fantastic Discord you should get on that as well. Um, one of the best heresy Discords out there, in my opinion. Yeah, and we put the same effort, you know, that's the thing too. We put the same effort into our local event or our regional events that we put into Adepticon. So we get the same level of prize support, we get the same level of of story writing, everything. Nothing changes. So I, I, I tend to think that we produce a pretty good show. So it's worth the travel, I promise. One more thing I wanted to say about Adepticon in general. I know there's some people that have never gone before, some people who haven't even gone to something of this size before. Actually, there's two other things. We're not the only event show in town at Adepticon. There are some other events going on. They have a they have a team game called Tag Teams. They have the Notorious BAG, which is like a big mega battle. That guy, it's run by Jason Tick. He's a really good dude. Um, and they have a couple of other things. I think there's some Graying Legion stuff, actually. They're doing like a big campaign that encompasses multiple game systems that has very limited tickets. But there's more stuff than just what we're doing. Uh, I can't really speak to it. I'm not the organizer on it. So I don't know that many details about it. but the best place to find info on those events is actually to join us on Facebook in the Adepticon Horse Heresy Facebook group. Or you can ask me and I'm, or, you know, ask one of us and I'm sure we can get you the right information if you can't find it. But that's the best place to go for that. Second thing is we're going to have all of our frontline tables available for open gaming after 4 p.m. every day. So you can come and play the same, you know, they won't, we're not counting any of those mission, you know, counting any of those games towards the event or anything like that, but nothing stopping you guys from playing on them all night until they kick us out of the hall, which is usually about one o'clock in the morning. Adepticon is way more than the events we've talked about here. I mean, I hope that everyone listening to this podcast knows that the Adepticon itself is filled with so many events that, uh, yeah, you want a game, you, you want to roll some dice and play a game. Someone's doing it there. Right. And speaking of the last thing I wanted to talk about is if you the ticket thing, the the ticket, the ticketing can be troublesome. It's difficult to get the tickets for the events you want. If you don't get tickets for the events that you want and you show up, I have never turned away any players that showed up with their army ready to play on the day of the game. I'm not saying that it's not possible that we will completely fill up and won't be able to, but I've never had to in the past. So if you, and I, to my knowledge, none of the heresy organizers have in the past. So if you, you know, if you don't get a ticket for our event and you sign up, there's always people that drop. 
There's always all kinds of different things that happen. Um, just show up at nine o'clock when the game starts and we will do our best to get you into the game. I know that's not great to travel all the way across the country in the hope that we'll be able to get you into the game. But like I said, I've never, I've never had to turn anyone away before. So that's what I got. Um, I, I don't know the events for saying, which is the, you know, my, my plan, if I don't get tickets, cause ticket thing goes crazy on Sunday, I'm going to take up some battle tech with me. I'm bringing some, a variety of my horse heresy stuff. I know I'm going to get some games in somewhere. Yeah. There's also, uh, I don't want to spill the beans, but there's also some unlisted events maybe going on in the evening. I don't know what that could be. Yeah, well, there's a couple different ones. There's a couple <laughs> different ones. So if you're not doing anything in the evening, coming in and hanging out in the Heresy Hall, there's always something going on, even if it's not listed on the schedule. There's some kind of indie stuff going on usually. So that's the big event on the horizon, 2024. Depticon 2024. Uh, let's take a few moments to talk about our personal stuff. And while I've still got you here, Lucas and Eric, I'll address the first questions to you. Your personal plans for 2024, you got hobby stuff you're planning on doing other than Adepticon or is Adepticon completely eaten your minds now? Nah, I don't let it do that. Yeah, no. I. So I've actually, through our winter break, so we made an agreement, all the Fierce guys did, because of the time investment through the year that we were going to take our winter break and literally not do anything. We're not, we're going to check the company email. That's about it. So through the winter break, I've been tackling a brand new alpha Legion army and nice. I am about 95% done with my 3000 point list. So we're getting there. Uh, I didn't quite make the deadline of, of December 31st um, that I'd set, but we're, we're pretty close. So I'll, I'll probably knock that out in the next week or two, but honestly, once those couple of models are done, I'll probably be full bore um, table building and coordinating for Adepticon. And my personal hobby time will be nigh on nothing, basically. <laughs> what, what, um, what type of list was it? So it's, it's um, I mean, it's, it's down, you know, it's Alpha Legion. So it's, it's a couple of recon squads, a couple of headhunter squads, nothing super spammy, nothing super cheesy. A fire raptor because I really just wanted to have a fire raptor, <laughs> a couple of dreadnoughts as as fire support, and and that's it. We just it just infiltrates and you know shoots at things early and tries to take an early game advantage and and suffers a lot late game late game. So it's it's kind of a jump ahead early and then slowly you know trying to manage the attrition through the last of the game. So it plays really fun. I was a Blood Angels player before. You know, and the quintessential Blood Angels player with like the 95% deep strike list. I've been running the same list since I actually started playing at my first Fierix event. It had a, it has evolved over time. I was running Recon Marine, or I'm sorry, Scout Marines in 1.0 um, <laughs> with Scorpius tanks. And I still run the same list. Um, it's my, you know, my treasure army. And, but consequently, it has zero shooting outside of the Scorpiuses. I had never figured out how to roll. Um, shooting attacks so alpha legion when i approached it it was i wanted everything to be shooting so that's what we've got now i'm learning the entire other half of the game it's it's pretty fun i wish i could have learned that lesson i've just finished building my imperial fists and i think i've got less shooting than my word bearers had so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wanted to i wanted it to be just polar opposite and honestly i i'm really proud of the paint that i've got on them um I went with a kind of a non-metallic kind of look and even in the paint schemes, it is completely opposite to my Blood Angels. So 
it's refreshing it's new it's fancy so i'll knock it out in the next couple of weeks and then it'll be full bore on fear for the rest of the year probably lucas i yes i have been working on night lords okay um with a lot of 3d printed upgrade bits and i really wanted to like kind of push the modeling um i did a bunch of characters for my dark angels like a couple well it's been over a year now i guess and uh i had like a really good time doing like a ton of kit bashing like you know like no expense spared kind of thing or bought every kit i wanted a single bit from just did it no problem and that was really fun so i decided for the night lords i kind of wanted to do it throughout the entire army so it's like a lot like i said a lot of a lot of 3d printed bits a lot of like gw bits from all over the place and they're uh completely toughness characteristic army i don't have a single tank in the army so okay. that should be fun uh i've been playing tanks for my dark angels for a really long time really tank heavy iron wing lists and um not only do i think tanks suffer a little bit in horse heresy 2.0 but i wanted something different so i'm playing this uh i'm gonna start playing this dark this uh night lords list you know i got the night raptors i got the terror squads I got the recon marines i got the rapiers i got the land speeders all that stuff so it'll be fun so they're about uh the modeling is almost completely finished and then we got to start on the paint and then it's on to terrain more terrain always more terrain i know i know that's the the event organizers curse until you're done doing events and then the curse is what do i do with this train yeah we're we're the pile's getting big at this point you know it's starting to get (laughs) thankfully i have a very understanding wife and lots of room in my basement so um but the pile's getting big and i think by the time we get to adepticon um it'll be the most tables we've had um ever so yeah last year we had to borrow tables we're hoping this year not to have to maybe just one or two yeah so there's there'll be 25 tables of um okay so what we'll do before you guys can hang up on me i'll give i've got two other people on the call i've got ben and grant uh, give those an opportunity to yell any questions they've got. Oh, hey, uh, this has been. Have you has there been maybe any consideration uh, to Legion Imperialis events? Because you know, you know you can bring a very big army in you know a shoebox. That's true. Um, there is a thirty man Legionis Imperialis event. I believe that's being ran by the uh, Graying Legion guys. I'm. I'm not actually sure. I think that's who it is, but uh, we we're not really we're not really taught. We yes, it is Grain Legion. I'm sorry, it's right here, presented by the Grain Legion. So uh, those are the guys that did the Horse Heresy kind of before, you know, the, in the past, and they they run great stuff. Like they're the guys who did um ah oh, what's the, the Titanicus and the um yeah they did a Titanicus and Aeronautical last year, but they did like a huge campaign for uh for Horse Heresy for. Gomesia, that's it. Gomesia. And that was so that was, they did such a good job. They had a really cool map system and all kinds of stuff. So uh they're doing uh Legionis Imperialis uh on the 23rd, which I think is Saturday. They have a 30 man event for that. And then I think they have some other stuff too. No, they have Adeptus Titanicus and yeah, they have Adeptus Titanicus, but um so it looks like Adeptus Titanicus day one, day two, and then the day three is actually Legions Imperialis for the same event. So that looks pretty cool. 30 man per day. And just to sort of tell the other people listening with a very similar it's very hard to switch from being an event organizer of heresy to 
bit of a scale because we're just talking about scenery. Take you have to, you can't reuse any of the terrain. I know. And back when I was doing the Iron Halo, me and Dave were talking a lot about you know how we could get Panicus into Theorix storyline. It's just hard because you've got to suddenly get all of the these other tables of terrain built. Yeah. And then you also end up, uh, the biggest thing, every time we, we always talk about it, like obviously when Imperialis dropped, we had a conversation internally about it and we did it with Aeronautica and everything. And I think the thing we always run into is like, we can only do so much in a weekend. And if I, it, it would be impossible for us to have somebody co- or to have an entire roster for the weekend commit to playing in both systems so that nobody's left out because you're double dipping your players a lot, right? Like for, yeah, you're cannibalizing your own player base basically i don't want to ask you to have to play twos between frontline or you know titanicus or whatever for a saturday right so for us it's a little hard it's not like it we haven't marked it completely off the horizon it may be that something that ferrix can evolve into later but as far as adepticon goes um the graying legion guys you know sort of migrated into the peripheral games which allowed us to slip in as the um narratives heresy group so this is sort of where Ferex is going to stay for a little, for at least the foreseeable future. Yeah. Now I will say this: probably going to see some more Adeptus Titanicus and maybe even Legionis Imperialis in our one-day events at Dallas Games Marathon because we're going to move to a monthly schedule. So we'll have them every month, and so we're going to fill some of those slots with those other peripheral games. I mean, I've I've told people I've committed to helping you guys do stuff single day Titanicus down there. Yeah. It's on my to-do list for this upcoming year. I'm not sure about Limp yet. I haven't played any yet. Yeah, I haven't played it yet. I was meaning to get a game in with AJ, but he's had some serious health issues in the last couple of months. Last time I've spoke to him, he's better. But we're we're on the we're on the men now, so I'm hoping here in the next couple of months actually start getting back into the limp and IA rolling of things again. So yeah, I'm. Personally, for Legionis Imperialis, the hype is was a little bit like stolen from me. Like it was really, I was really hyped about it when it first came out, or when they first announced it, and then it took a long time to come out. And I'm not that big; that's not that big of a deal breaker for me personally. But then a month later, they announced Old World, and I'm like, well, now I have like, what am I going to do? I got to choose. I can't be trying to build three armies at once. We've been talking about blowing up the Ferex 30k narrative to just switch to old world (laughs) (laughs) just like it was a fever dream and we all wake up (laughs) as dwarves and elves and everything and and go from there okay um hey grant you had a question do you mind yeah absolutely so it sounds like you guys are expanding a lot on you know uh what what you want the system to be you're trying out some pretty pretty big ideas with expanding what was already a pretty immense event um, when it comes to the the Apocalypse ZM game, making it like a two-table thing. It sounds really ambitious, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing how it's executed. Are there any other kind of pie-in-the-sky ideas you have uh, that are being kicked down the road or things that you've you know wanted to try out that you don't think there's been like the capacity to execute on at this point? Yeah, there's... Um, actually, we had a a secret squirrel project planned for this Adepticon that's already been scrapped, mostly because the Megazium vision that we have, for those that haven't played it, um, we've always done Megazium in Ferex for as long as Ferex has been a thing. 
Um, it started in one of the first events that David ran. Yeah, I think the second one. Yeah, and we 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 have carried it through since then. It's become like the perennial, like this is what a Ferex event is. Last year at Adepticon, it became, you know, it was sort of its debut for a really large audience, and that was really neat. We've we knew leaving Adepticon what we wanted to do with the magazine for for this year. Um, so we've been working on the logistics for a while. Again, for those of you who are not aware, it's an 18 to 24 foot ZM table that we play various size of of mega battles on. You know, just like you would on the frontline side, we were doing it in ZM with ZM forces, and really, really fun time. And so the first step to doing Adepticon prep this year was doubling our table, right? So now we have you know 32 to 48 feet of ZM terrain, which is a huge, huge undertaking. <laughs> Yeah, all from uh, one of our great sponsors, uh, Death Ray Designs. It kind of been with us from the very beginning, even before we inherited it. Yeah. So uh, yeah. shout out to them. Yeah. So that that was a huge deal. The rule set for that has been a work in progress. We've play tested it a little bit, kind of dabbled a little bit at the precipice of ruin with possible formats and stuff. Um, so it's been a lot of a lot of testing for that because we really wanted to to fly well, and so. The Secret Squirrel project we had planned didn't come to fruition for this Adepticon, but I'm not going to reveal it because I personally am holding out that it will be a thing for next year. And I I feel fairly safe in saying that it's it's going to, again, just like the Megazeum, will be a unique experience that I think Ferex will be, you know, pitching that I don't know of any other event organizers, you know, doing sort of similar stuff, but... Yeah, there's definitely, you know, a long answer for for your question, but there are we our dreams are obviously big. I have a huge um 10 foot by 5 foot whiteboard in my basement that is just full of narrative directions and ideas for games and board ideas and it's, you know, we always every time we have a call, more stuff's going on it, stuff's coming off. So the one thing I think is we're always focused on the future and always evolving it, right? And I meant to mention this earlier. For those that are new to the Character Forge system, obviously get in there and read it. But our forum, like our Discord, is a forum for feedback. We open, like we don't take feedback privately. We always, we insist that you post your feedback in the Discord, good or bad. You know, leave it up for discussion for people. And and with the character traits, you know, the Character Forge, I feel like is probably my favorite system. I love the NPCs. I really do. I love what they do narratively. But the character forge for all of it, all that it is now, is is awesome. But it's awesome because of the feedback that we've gotten. So yeah, you know, yeah. take a look at our stuff early. If you have questions or recommendations, or if you're the person that plays sisters and you want to have a sisters um, character, you know, post in the Discord. Let's have a discussion. And and you know, all of this is a living document. None of it's set in stone. And uh, we can help you build the narrative that you want to build. I won't give it away. Like I said, we're going to play this a little bit closer to our chest, but I will kind of answer your question a little bit more detail. We do want to focus in the future on creating some more curated experiences rather than you always playing against an opponent. We want to create some experiences where you might have to play against Ferex. That's kind of what, that's kind of the, the plan. And I don't want to give too much away, but more of a, like I said, definitely more of a curated, like you playing against something that, like I said, not an opponent necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who was at Amstrand Part 1 is suddenly getting flashbacks. Um, but uh, yeah, 
Oh God, the chain lightning was just, I mean, just unit after unit after unit. Hey man, you had a chance to roll that wouldn't hit that table and you just kept hitting it. I don't know what to tell you. The rules were definitely not overtuned. We didn't revisit those at all, I promise. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got a, a firm red button policy uh, when it comes to these events. If I see a red button, I'm going to press it. And there, there's no choice there, really. So we're, we're all kind of blameless in this. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and for those not in the loop on that, there is a table in our rotation that is a throwback to Amber Strand and the events of that um, event. Um, so if you're at Adepticon, you can, you can get in a little, or get a little bit of a taste of what Grant and, and Martin are having flashbacks to. <laughs> I've talked about it enough on this show. But, um, okay. Well, I think with that, we will, um, move on to the other part of what I really wanted to talk about today, which is the fact it's a new year. We are recording this on the first day of the first month of 24. Um, Erica here, but, uh, Ben and Grant also joined us. So I want to talk to them about, like... What our plans for this great year is going to be. Then, as you were here first, let's. So, I mean, I'll start at the top. Um, ask the same question to Lucas and Eric at the start. How was your 2023 in hobbying? Uh, I saw you a bit around quite a bit at the start of the year and then not quite as much near the end. Yeah, um, it has um, definitely been um, kind of a lot of it has been uh, anticipation of the old world. And the old world is very special to me. It's how I got started in uh, Warhammer uh, back in uh, fifth edition uh, fantasy. So, um, you know, eventually I warmed up to Age of Sigmar. I do have a Lumineth uh, Realms Lords army for, you know, the rare instances where I play Sigmar. But my heart has always been in yeah. the old world. Yeah. So a lot of it is uh, just making sure, you know, I've always wanted a Wood Elf army. And, you know, after years of playing High Elves, it's one of those, it's kind of like my army lost love. And it's something I always wanted to do, but never, just never really got around to doing it. Well, I wanted to do it this time. Uh, I finally built a Wood Elf army, you know, complete with uh, every, you know, I'm kind of a completionist. So I'll, you know, even, you know, if I don't really see myself, you know, playing a lot of War Dancers, I still want to like a unit of War Dancers. And just, just things like that. And it turned out really, really good. And, um... Yeah, I've actually played a few games of it, and I think my most immediate thing for 24 is the last games of 8th edition Fantasy, because those rules are about to be uh, obsolete. I always loved Yeah, that you, you've been playing a bit of uh, uh, old fantasy then. Yeah, and um, I'm just really excited that people who got into the hobby after Fantasy are going to get to uh, experience it. You know, I know uh, actually a few uh, GW staffers who were not in the hobby back when Fantasy was around, and they, uh, you know, they're really excited to see kind of what, what it was all about. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really curious. Um, I'm a lit, I'm just going to, terrible one for being disappointed in Games Workshop's new products recently. I'm a little disappointed that it looks like the game size is going to be fairly big still. I was hoping they'd take a moment to scale back down to what I knew as Warhammer Fantasy with much smaller sized armies, but uh... big game, best game. I, I I don't know if they have listed like an official you know recommended uh, game size. Oh, I was seeing it discussed somewhere. My my um Oklahoma heresy group is uh like many heresy groups, pretty old world 
happy as well. And uh, they were they were crunching some numbers based on some stuff GW talked about, and they were projecting pretty big lists. And I get the idea. You big, big games are fun. I just I don't know. I got in. I got back into uh, fantasy just as they were starting end times after playing back in fifth edition. That was the Lizardman box, yeah. And the scale upon the size of the armies was like massive. It really was. I think. Uh, I think uh, that was kind of part of. I guess you could say GW killing the golden goose. Um, but uh, I think it's really good that they are coming out with army boxes because if you remember back, yeah. uh, you know, back in the fantasy days, you know, when a new army book would come out, you would get like a limited release army box, which would give you about fifteen hundred points, and you would get like a. You would get the army book, you would get like a limited standard bearer, and that seems to have sort of fallen by the wayside, and I'm glad that it's coming back. And I think it should come back. So, um, Well, because a lot of people don't have armies. They, you know, you could be an old grognard like me with like three big fantasy armies, but a lot of people don't, but they want to get into the game. But I'm sorry, go ahead, Martin. You were um, Outside of fantasy, are you planning on doing much for heresy? Yeah, in fact, as we speak, I am now painting uh, uh, my Legionus Imperialis. Uh, army uh my I'm, I'm actually focusing on solar auxilia yeah it seems well for a couple of reasons i mean i think the aesthetic and the um the lore behind them is is amazing and i think it, it allows me to narratively uh kind of play a traitor or uh or a loyalist uh, really kind of depending on the um on my opponent and just the uh, theme of the event and um it's an army that i don't see myself ever playing in full size 30k so yeah yeah that's uh and and it seems like they're the the local you know at least scuttle but seems to be that most people are going to be doing the legions so having something um yeah that's maybe less played um yeah i'm i'm enjoying it i have uh, i'm looking at doing a very uh, tank heavy force so i'm really waiting for that um uh, lehman rust box to come out but uh yeah i, I... I don't think we're waiting much time. And the photos of it have started floating around the internet, so I presume we're only weeks away from it now. Oh, I so. can I can believe that. Yeah, I think that um, you know I think that I actually shared a lot of of your concerns with you know just the long term support for the system. But uh, I it was kind of more of an impulse buy. It was really hard to get the starter box, and I was at the Citadel, and they got two of the starter boxes in. So, yes, uh, I told them, you know, just, you know, put me down for one. Um, so your hobby goals is really build both Old World and Imperialis, then, uh, this coming year. Nice. Yes. Yes. And I really wish I could clone myself, because there are... Uh, I have more systems than I have, you know, physical hours to play. Yeah, I mean, that's the... I think I've spoken about on the show before. I, I I have a sort of three system rule. As soon as I start building my th an army for a fourth system, I'm like, one of these systems is going to be dropped. You know, I think um, you know it was like easier, you know, back in the '90s and you know the the 2000s when I, you know, essentially I had one army for 40k and one ar army for fantasy. So, but um, you know, just kind of like anything, something has to give and. Something you just have to accept that something is, you know, gonna sit on the shelf more than you would like it to. Yeah, and sitting on a shelf is fine. I've realized this that you know, a model can sit on a shelf for five, five, six, seven years and come out and be played again, and it hasn't lost any value. Um, yeah, it's just like my uh, fantasy battle armies. Uh, you know, I 
really just getting games of that in you know in 2023 was was kind of a new pleasant experience and it was kind of surprising to me how many people still played you know they they never left the the square base world are you gonna rebase your army no i'm gonna do the movement trays oh, okay like with a like with a little bit added yeah uh, i think i'm gonna do like the more uh roomy movement trays yeah i've already done enough rebasing <laughs> in, in my lifetime but um I think the thing I am really most looking forward to is having one reference rule set because a lot of people here, you know, I will see them. They're playing either Warhammer Armies Project or Ninth Age or, you know, Eighth Edition or Seventh Edition or Sixth Edition. And that gets a little un that gets a little unmanageable. So I, I'm really looking forward to having one reference rule set. So, Grant, uh, what was your 2023 like? Oh, boy. I mean, it is presently the sum total of of my heresy i got in uh around christmas time 2022 so 2023 has been a whirlwind year for uh for the hobby major highlights obviously the uh the adepticon event kind of kicked things off i had uh been mustering some iron hands prior to that point and uh I, I wandered in and then I wandered out and then I've been taking trains to events and uh, doing, doing some stuff locally up here. And it's just been uh, an absolute rush this past year, just kind of, kind of falling deep, deep, deep into the, into the hobby. So I'd call 2023 a major success. A lot of, uh, a lot of painted armies now in the collection where, where none previously existed. Mission accomplished everybody. We, we, we did it. We made another Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Uh, uh, as we look towards uh, 24 this year, what's your, what are your plans then? Okay, so I made a, a critical mistake of finishing uh, a workable Adepticon army long, long, long before Adepticon started. Mm -hmm. I think I, I, allu I alluded to some local events up here. There's been a, uh, a Chicagoland area uh, event series that's been kind of proceeding on a bi-monthly basis um for for the past couple months now kind of a a tour of the the different battles of the heresy but it, it, it's a little bit more competitively leaned so it's a it's a very different vibe but i have never once uh played competitive in it uh i've always brought like a, a themed a different entirely different themed army for each of the events and so i'm going to be uh continuing forward with that into the new year uh, we got beta garmin at the end of this month so that'll be knights uh, Solar War the month after that, uh, two months after that, uh, running alongside or potentially right before or after Adepticon. A uh, bit of silence about that. I don't think they'll be at the event. And then Siege of Terra with a uh, de-escalation game after that. So I got to get something big uh, finished out for those. Mm -hmm. And that's just, I mean, that you know, that's just to the side. Uh, that's 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 my little local provincial gaming thing that uh, <laughs> nobody outside of those circles is really gonna gonna hear about. There's also a um, a Panopticon Escalation League happening Ooh. here in Milwaukee from now until May. So I'm working on a, a rogue trader force that's gonna bring in a couple uh, bite sized examples of a of a couple other armies. So that'll be uh, pretty exciting. But of course, Ferix is a big narrative focus for me. It's where all the all the all the really good stuff is happening. So 2023 saw the end of 
the Iron Hand storyline for now. Uh, we may see them back in 2025, but we're flipping to Traders for 2024. So uh, while you know, uh, Clan Saimur uh, hops in their ships and breaks the blockade and tries to get to that uh, outer ring to see if they can't uh, bring back some interesting reinforcements. It was going to be Death Guard, uh, full force, nonstop, but just so many other ideas have, have popped up since then. And then, uh, I think, completely by accident, uh, and, I, and I'm sure, you know, with the best of intentions, Lucas has unfortunately accidentally doomed me uh, by mentioning that a, a hard and fast list is not required. So I'm, I'm presently working on a, uh, a sort of a, 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 an event table to roll on and to have kind of modular armies that, uh, that fit a lot of different themes. So going into uh, Adepticon, I don't actually have a narrative planned out. I'm, at this point, I don't think I'm even going to name any of the characters. And I'm going to let it be a forge in which characters are created to then follow up in with the, the remaining 2025. You know, I'll name them. No, that, I'll, I'll do the bare courtesy of making sure everybody has a name and a two-sentence backstory. But it's, uh, it's permanent Keepsies deaths. For, for any given game, because any army might be, you know, on the table, lost in the warp. The basic idea is, you know, it's it, this traitor onslaught onto the, the Loyalist forces is so much more massive that, you know, some people might get caught out of position, some people might get pushed right up into the meat grinder. So we're really going to see the, the champion raise. What armies are going to be on this table of doom? All right, so uh, on the front line, we've got a militia of two different flavors, Again? I've got a, a modeled uh, Kinfolk Helots force and a, a Tech Guard force that I'm working on. Nice. So we got we got the War Games Atlantic's Einherjar Dwarves with uh, some Mantic Forgefather Grenadiers, and uh, they share tanks with a bunch of uh, uh, Skitari body part people uh, that are that are all going to kind of you know potentially be coming up. We'll see what I get painted. Uh, so th- there, there are some militia fill-ins. Death Guard's going to take a big front and center in two different flavors. I've got some uh, fat body boys that I always bring up. Uh, I think they're a, a Tortuga Bay base. Okay. And uh, they're going to be kind of a siege drill, full veteran pride of the Legion list. And then the other half of it is just Death Shroud and uh, an absolute mountain of infantry and absolute... Have you guys run into this thing with Death Guard vehicles where they can uh, move their, their full distance and count as stationary? Yes, Craft World dis- uh, Death Guard. Yeah, it, ma- it makes their, their like single-shot ordnance uh, things like demolishers into initial D speed racer cars, and I, it's the funniest thing in the world, so they, they feature. Much faster than White Scars. Much faster. Who you can really count a lot of legions that can pull off faster than white scars. It's uh, it's something to address in Heresy 3.0, maybe. Speaking of which, uh, none of the well, okay, so Thousand Suns. Uh, I ended up getting a, a big heap load of those for a uh, Burning of Prospero event okay. at the close of this previous year, and uh, with uh, the Zone Mortalis forces, I think it's going to be. So just to be clear, uh, the Death Guard and the Militia are going to be taking up most of the um, the frontliner games for the biggest model things. And then when it comes to the Zone Mortalis events, if I'm able to get in there, that's where the stuff is going to get weird. So we've got Thousand Suns, 
pretty early in 2023, I was uh, going back and forth with with some of the the Ferrix guys with some ideas, and one of the the things that came out of it was the the trait for the Thousand Suns. Lucas bounced some ideas off me about like the Diviner thing. I was like, Diviner sounds cool, you know? Yeah, go for it. And then I haven't seen anybody do it, so I, I feel obligated that I got to have a uh, a Diviner type guy running around there uh somebody i think also mentioned world eaters librarian as uh, an on fluffy option and that got me looking in the the lexicanums and seeing what's out there so possible world eaters force coming up it depends on if i can source some rampager arms and uh we got some emperor's children in the flavor of uh using all those leftover thousand suns bits in a uh pretty intense application of liquid green stuff to get the the more sorcerous gribblies off them while keeping them pretty ornate. So it's going to be uh, a, a pretty furious couple months of hobbying. I'm, I'm hoping I can pull it all off. Whew, yeah, a, a bit breathless at the end of all that. I don't think I ever actually laid it out for myself how much I've <laughs> I've set a plate to get done. But um, no, that, sounds... that is half the fun. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. You got some of those armies already complete, so you don't have to, like, get it all done. You don't need to. That's true. Yeah, no, the... Um, the the Death Guard and the Thousand Suns already being in a complete stage I mean that you know they're they're kind of shoe ins for their different halves of it. The fact that it's all like the the banner bearers of the different chaos gods being represented, I think, is uh, uh, a nice little a little synergy for me as well. But you know, it's it's all um, it's all love and it's all just like excitement about seeing what other people have brought. I mean, I wouldn't have had half of these or even like. A quarter of these ideas uh, be so you know mm-hmm. enticing if I hadn't been up around at the Discord this past year. I th- there was like a discussion about Karn, you know, not being in and not being able to shut down reactions that got me thinking, like, oh, what does the Telepath World Eater's librarian actually look like? Where does he fit in? Who is he? And who would uh, deign to hang around with him? So there's a. Uh... So the biggest thing in 2024 is going to be staying in touch with the community making sure the ideas are, are still flowing back and forth because the, the just the, the passion that I've seen this past year is what's kept me this insanely invested. And so, yeah, Adepticon is going to be the, the mouth point. We're going to see who lives, who dies, who makes it through, and that's going to kind of set the tone for uh, the, the remainder of 2024. Yeah, that's what keeps us going as well, is like the community's passion for it, the people that are truly bought in, um it's it's been great that's that's what keeps us going as well that's fantastic um but grant uh grant so one one thing real quick i actually had an army one of my previous armies was uh sisters of silence main this is in 1.0 so you could run sisters of silence and custodies at the same time are they in the same army list so i had them and they were actually accompanied by a knight errant that was a world leader librarian and he was assigned a pendant duty of having to hang out with the Sisters of Silence, and he was not happy about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the did they still have, like, the, the area of, a, like, did their null thing kind of make him feel bad in a, in a gameplay sense as well, or was it fully, fully fluffed? Uh, it does, but um, there's, like, a bunch of, there used to be, like, options you could select for Knight Errant, and I don't know if I actually ever picked, like, the librarian one. But yeah, they like they do negatively affect anybody in contact with him, including him. But he he was he yeah. didn't really nobody really cared that much because he was in a unit of Aqualon Terminators. 
So they just punched anything in the face before it got a chance to really piss him off. Yeah, yeah, that's um, oh boy, that I mean that that's exactly the sort of storytelling that I like to hear about. I mean, I I hope that something half is um. Oh, you know what? This brings to mind. Uh, have you guys put any more thought into? Well, you know what? The, so the the militia uh, traits and you know the the traits for other um, non Astartes character groups have been kind of a, a huge development here. Has there been any any more thought towards um, and any varieties of traits for the uh, Astartes leaders to let them embed in in other forces? Because I think presently. Uh, it's still uh, mutually exclusive to have like a, a militia character and a marine character in the same force because actually hold on is that the case i think they can be in the same army but you can't just like bring one space marine he has to be like part of an ally detachment or vice versa yeah you can bring you can bring an ally squad and just then bring a tactical marine team which is how i've generally been running my militia my militia are usually accompanied by a word bearer and a squad of five of space marines that suddenly are like the best thing in my list when when the rest of the army's militia. Jack did something similar with um, Solar Ox at the Precipice of Ruin event. Uh, Jack from Kansas City, very beautiful Solar Ox army, kind of like a t- uh, very Venatari heavy, and he had like a, a Blood Angel little armored detachment, you know, on, on the side there, running alongside them, and that was basically an ideal there but so okay so you can run you need to have it be a warlord and in the primary obviously it's mythology there uh to to take the the militia stuff are you able to take a, a character forge praetor in an allied detachment or does it need to be primary because i did have there is there is a, there is also of course an allied detachment of night lords that i've been working for the death guard that um I thought it'd be funny if the, the character lived in the allied detachment. I think as it stands, it needs to be primary. I think how we have it written right now is it's you can only have one. There's zero to one, but I don't know if they have to be primary. Yeah, the um, I guess the, the thing I'm going to be most excited about with this, um, the introduction of the Zone Mortalis stuff in here is just kind of seeing the, the terrain you guys have been working on because... The classic ZM board is is very cool, and I'm wondering uh, the the new terrain there is that like um, uh, is it in the same style? Are there any uh, departures that have been made? Well, there's some uh, upgrades cool. been made to it, but it's the same company that makes it. It's it's essentially a replic. It's a replication of the set um, for the most part, and then we've added upgrades um, to both sets together so that we've expanded each set at the same time so the new set is an entire like mostly a copy of the original set with um, new pieces added so um and then all of course all of the objectives and everything are custom train pieces inserted into that set um to answer your question before i forget a praetor must be your army's warlord to be upgraded with a character forged traits that would make them not available in an allied detachment but um that might change it's one of those things where I don't think like a lot of people I don't know of anybody that was playing allies really before before the new FAQ. And so yeah, we probably just need to revisit and take a look at it. But we'll have a discussion on the Discord, I promise. Yeah, like I said, there's gonna be one more update before DevDecon to the character forge. Not right before. We're gonna have it soon so you guys can get prepped. I know the tickets on sale very soon, so I think well we've Everyone's talked about their plans for next year. I've got a few people who've left voice messages that I will cut 
I put a call out for people to send me some messages. Um, we'll go through them. There, follows. Hello, this is Killian Vock with the Gothamos Game Group. Really looking forward to 2024. Personally, I'll be completing my Legiofurians Force. In addition to that, I'll be starting a new Titan Legion. Not 100% sure if I'll be doing one of the historical chapters from the Horus Heresy, or go ahead and start something original and new. I'll also be working on Legion Imperialis. I've got the start of a Mechanicium Force, Order Reductor, and I'm looking forward to bringing them to completion to add them to my forces. The Gothamus Game Group will be looking at a couple of events this coming year. Those events are already in planning to help make those events possible. We're doing a lot of writing, uh, terrain building, and painting. In addition to that, we're also working on some community support in the form of a website. Hey, everybody. It's AJ. And the hobby goals I'm after this year are going to be firmly in the epic scale. I started Legions, and I'm very excited to get all of that built and painted and a lot more games played. Best thing about Legions is that it lends itself to building more aeronautical and titanicus models. So I'm going to be able to continue expanding all of my eight millimeter stuff. Um, this year, I've got a couple titanicus events lined up, so I'm excited for that. Um, otherwise, it's just going to be a lot of building and painting and playing pickup games locally. Happy New Year, everyone. So I think we'll look at sort of winding down. Before I go, there are a few things I wanted to touch base on with everyone who's here. Um, so before we wrap it up, does anyone have anything they want to add? I uh, really just uh, look, keep keep on the lookout. Bigger and better things are coming. It looks like 2024 is going to shape up to be as good of a year for Horus Heresy and adjacent games as 2023 was, if not better. So uh, I think keep it going. It's as strong as that. I think it's. I actually think Horus Heresy is in a better place than it has been in a very long time. Yeah, I, I want to sort of, I think that's a, I kind of wanted to just follow that up because I know there's been a few places where people have been talking about how, you know, the game's not quite where it was before we had the reset. Um, we moved over to 2.0. I'm really happy with where we are with Heresy right now. I'm sure there's road for improvement, but I think we're in a bit of a golden age. The number of people who started playing Heresy... I'm seeing it played a lot of places, um, way more than it was a while ago. Um, I can go to numerous places around Oklahoma and see it played. I mean, the people aren't necessarily going to events, and people aren't doing more than you know playing with a few buddies, but there's definitely a lot of it out there, and I think Games Workshop's focus on it as a mainline game is doing good things for the game as a whole. <laughs> it may not feel the same in all places, but yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think, and I, I know that we can, it's funny because, you know, Ferex is kind of operated in two cities at the same time when we're not at major events. And the Kansas City scene is is really, really strong, especially with one of our sponsored stores. Um, I, I There's almost heresy happening up there every week, um, but there's coordinated games once a month. Um, and then we do a little bit larger things um, as often as we can. But um it's honestly really refreshing because even even after book seven in the Kansas City scene, there were people that played Heresy, but it was still kind of hard to get them to bring those models to the store. And now with, um, I think the large availability of plastic has helped so much in getting people to adopt it. And the fact that those 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 starter boxes are 
not only great value, but like they're they're very much um, kind of like Ben mentioned earlier with the the fantasy boxes. It's it's a key to just start playing the game. It's you know it it's not the best, it's not the most optimized, but hey, here's a way to get a bunch of tacticals and a transport and some you know fun toys for the side. It's um, a really good tool for a lot of different builds. Yeah, like and it's, it's converted a lot of people in our scene for sure. No, I was just saying it's a good starting point. I think really for any game to to succeed and you know draw in new people, I think having that starter uh, set is is key. Um, you know, I know that that Heresy survived a long time without it, which I think you know speaks to the passion of the Heresy community. Um, but I think by and large, a, a a good a good jumping in point is is always a good thing. And it's it's I know I will admit it's changed the scene. It's not the scene it was when I was uh, watching it from the sidelines. But I think change is a good thing. Uh, it can be hard at times for people to take, but definitely my view. And uh, you know the fact we've seen the community change over the last year, over the last two years, definitely is only a good thing. Um, we're seeing new faces. We're seeing new armies. We're seeing people. I mean, I I, I want. Place heresy, you know. I want more, you know. I know how how awesome the game is, you know. I want more people to have that experience. And I'm very excited to see where we go in a world where the Black Library books move on doing something else. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Games Workshop's not going to not write heresy books. Yeah, they've been the cash cow for years. What are they going to do without them? Yeah, they're, they're going to keep on writing the books. They're just going to change how they're doing it, and I think that's just only going to yeah. I think you're right. It's just going to mean we're going back and we're going to be sorry. We're, we, we're, we're going to see more heresy stuff. It's not the end. And I think that can only go on and make this. We're just going to build and it's going to be great. I'm certainly looking forward to a, a 25 part book series, uh, really just meticulously dealing with the Iron Hand vertical fracturing at the uh, point of uh, Istvan 5 to, uh, to the scouring. I can't wait for that. So, GW, get on it. With all that said, I think we'll. Um... We'll call it at night. Thank you guys for sitting down with me for the last couple of hours. I look forward to conversations over the next couple of months. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Likewise to all of you. Here's to a successful 2024. Please subscribe to the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. And we will see you in two weeks. If you have any questions for the show, please email us at firesofbetrayal at gmail.com or reach out through our social media account or at deserve to their respective owners. Until next time, we wish you all good fortune.